Jesus told a story, and I'm going to tell it to you. You've heard it, some of you. It's a story about a man who called three of his servants and gave each of them large amounts of money. He gave one servant five talents, one servant two talents, and another servant one talent. And he asked each of them to take care of the money given to them. A talent was worth about $1,000. So this was a an incredible amount of money for that day. When the master returned, he called his servants in for an accounting. The servant who had been given five talents said, I invested your money and earned five talents more. The man said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. The servant with two talents said, master, you entrusted me with two talents I made two more. The man said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. The servant who had been given one talent approached the master and said, I know you're a hard man, a shrewd businessman. You harvest where you haven't sown. You gather where you haven't scattered seed. I was afraid And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. Here's everything that belongs to you. The master said, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have at least put my money in the bank so I could have earned some interest. Then he announced, take the talent from that man and give it to the one who has ten talents. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. Wow. I mean, what did the guy do so wrong? Don't you wonder? Throw him out into the darkness, worthless? He didn't steal the master's money. He didn't spend it. He didn't foolishly invest it and lose it. He kept every penny of it. So what in the world did he do so wrong? Well, he did nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was given an opportunity to do something, and he did nothing, and that, believe it or not, was his sin. Maybe the guy doubted his ability to manage such a large sum of money, or maybe he was intimidated by the fact that the other two guys were given such large amounts. Maybe he was just too busy, didn't think it was important to manage the master's money. Regardless, I'll tell you what this guy should have done. He should have taken charge of the situation. He should have said, this is an opportunity the master has given me, and I'd better not waste it. Kind of like Jack Black in the video. He had the opportunity to ask the girl out, wasted it. Kind of like Joe and Jim up here, given the announcements. You know, they were given an opportunity, and they took it. And I want to tell you what they did. Okay, they, they got up here and they had kind of a two-fold purpose. They were asked to take care of basically two things. We do this a lot here. You'll notice when I say it. They came up here to tell you guys about two important things. There's lots of important things going on, but these were two that we just wanted to highlight. And they brought them before you. And they also did it in a way to kind of fit the topic of the day, taking charge Joe didn't have a clue what he, or Jim didn't know what he was doing up here. He forgot the announcement page, and Joe 
took that mic and took charge, right? So they did their job. They took the opportunity. This is the same attitude we should have about our lives. Today we're going to look at some ways that that we can take charge of opportunities we've been given. Primarily, this overwhelming opportunity called our life. Solomon challenged us when he said this, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Can't you just picture somebody doing that? Fix your gaze directly before you. You ever seen anybody with that much resolute? Doing this requires that we take charge of our lives, that we make the effort to live with focus and direction and purpose and intentionality. Proverbs encourages us to live this way. And today we're going to look at four steps that we can take to take charge of our lives. If you want to be the good and faithful servant and not the wicked and lazy servant, then here are four things to keep in mind. First of all, taking charge involves taking chances. Taking chances. Remember that story of David and Goliath? Goliath challenged the army, the Israelites, to fight him. He said, if you defeat me, we'll serve you. If we defeat you, you'll be our slaves. He made this challenge for 30 days. And that whole army sat there, oh, what should we do? They didn't do anything. And then this red-headed teenage kid comes along and says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take the challenge. You know how the story turns out. David grabbed five stones and only took one. He took Goliath down and saved the day for Israel. From day one, our lives are a risk. I mean, just to be born, you know, that traumatic experience for a newborn, it's a risk. You have to take chances. You can't steal second base with your foot still on first base. At some point, you have to take the risk of getting thrown out. In the parable we just read, the master condemned the wicked, lazy servant because he was afraid to take a chance. He said, I was afraid. It's not an excuse. Solomon refers to this tendency toward being overly cautious when he said, the lazy person says, there's a lion outside. I might get killed out there in the street. Makes me wonder, did lions just roam the streets? As long as we live, there will always be lions outside the door. Not animals per se, but there will always be reasons, always be excuses to not take a chance. What if I fail? Chances are you will from time to time, but you'll survive. You realize that 50% of the people playing a tennis game lose? (laughs) How about this one? In a baseball game, 80% of the players who step up to the plate never make it to first base. 80% never make it to first base. And some of the guys who do make it to first base get there by being beamed with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. (laughs) 
statistically, that beanball will hit somebody at least, at least once per game. Do you want to take those chances? Well, if you want to play baseball, that's part of the risk. Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, said this, the key to success is to double your failure rate. Double your failure rate. He's saying you have to take chances. Life is a risk. Taking charge of your life involves taking chances. Second thing, taking charge involves taking inventory. Inventory. Every year the president gives the State of the Union address. He emphasizes the highlights of his administration's uh, doings, achievements. Then he makes a sales pitch for the ongoing political agenda. And of course, during the process, he takes some jabs at his political opponents. The idea of the State of the Union address is a good one. It's a good one for our nation because we should ask ourselves, we should take an inventory where we are, what we're going, where we're going, what we're doing. In fact, we should do this in every area of our lives, our individual lives, in order to take charge of our family, our business, our marriage, our personal life, our spiritual life, our health, our finances. In order to do that, we begin by taking an inventory to determine exactly what is the state of things. We have to make an honest, accurate assessment of our life. Now, this is not easy to do. In fact, sometimes it's very painful. We'd much rather go over things, you know, just kind of gloss over them and think, well, everything's just fine. We have a tendency to, as the songwriter Jackson Brown said, forget about the losses and exaggerate the wins. Solomon said, some people pretend to be rich but really have nothing. Others pretend to be poor but are really wealthy. Now, just a side note about Proverbs since we're in this series. This is one of those Proverbs that it's not a how-to thing. A lot of the Bible says, don't do this, do that. Here's how you do it, all that. A lot of Proverbs is just stating the facts. That's the way it is. He's just doing that right here. Some people pretend to be rich and they're not. Some people pretend to be poor and they're not. But what we can glean out of this is that appearances aren't enough. It doesn't matter if you project the image of success. It doesn't matter if you project the image of a happy family. It doesn't matter if you project the image of a godly person. That's not what matters. The question is, what is the actual state of things? What is the state of your marriage? Be honest. How is your relationship with your children? Be honest. How is your relationship with God? Might as well be honest. He already knows, right? Don't try to make things worse than they are. I'm not saying that. But also, don't pretend that they're better than they are. Be honest. Solomon said, any sensible person acts with knowledge. With knowledge. You have to know where you are before you can take charge of where you're going. When Dick Vermeil became the head coach of the Rams, he had to take an inventory of the situation. 
He had to be honest. His team had finished in last place the year before. At that time, he had no franchise players, no John Elway or Joe Montana. He also had no loyal fan base. The Rams had been the laughing stock of Los Angeles and hadn't yet proven themselves in St. Louis. And they had an owner who didn't really appear at the time to want to win. He didn't even have a commitment to winning. He also realized that his autocratic style of coaching wasn't as effective as it used to be. This generation of players was drastically different. He had coached in the 70s, and they just kind of followed back then. (laughs) He realized he would have to become a different kind of a coach. He took all these things into consideration, and he developed a plan for building this championship team. And, of course, it worked. He won the 2000 Super Bowl. If Dick Vermeil hadn't been absolutely honest with himself and about his situation, if he had tried the approach that his team was a bunch of great champions, he would have failed. But he acted out of knowledge. He took an honest inventory before he took charge of the team. What about your situation? Are you overlooking the warning signs of health problems? Are you ignoring an approaching financial crisis? Are you going through the motions at home or at work or in your walk with Christ? If you want to take charge of your life, you can't wait for somebody to point these things out. And even if someone did point the things out, you are still responsible for doing the work. Act out of knowledge. Find out where you are. Balance your bank account. Get a checkup. Have a heart-to-heart with your spouse or your children. Maybe have a heart-to-heart with God. Take charge of your life. The third thing is to take charge by taking responsibility. Take responsibility. There's an old joke about the guy applying for the job. The prospective employer said, we need a worker who is responsible. And the man said, well, that's me at my last job. Every time something bad happened, I was responsible. (laughs) Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's really not a bad attitude to have. Assume that you're responsible for your situation in life. Tell yourself, I'm here because of decisions I've made, both good and bad. And the things that happen to me that are beyond my control, I'm responsible for how I react. People who aren't in charge of their lives, they just take refuge in blaming others. You know how it is. It's my parents. It's their fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's the government's fault. It's God's fault. Anybody but mine. I read this the other day. There's a, a former contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He, he, he was on the, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show. And he sued the show. He sued ABC because he didn't like the way they worded one of the questions. He said it was ABC's fault 
and that he missed because if the question had been worded differently, he would have gotten the right answer. So he sued for $2 million, even though the question was only for 32000 <laughs> I guess the extra money was for all the pain and suffering and humiliation he had to endure. Oh, poor guy. Solomon addressed this tendency toward blame when he said, people ruin their lives with the foolish things they do, and then they blame the Lord for it. That's the ultimate blame, isn't it? If you don't like the way your life is, blame God. As long as you're blaming someone else for your situation, you can never be responsible for your own life. Want to hear a good way to spell blame? Be lame. Be lame. As long as you're blaming others, you're making yourself lame. Take responsibility. I'm going to use an example here, an illustration, and it'll also be a little announcement. Our elder board. We've given our search team for a youth director, we've given them authority. Authority to not just write the job description, not just get it out there in the public. We've given them the authority not just to sort through the resumes and even do the initial phone and Skype interviews. We've also given them the decision-making power to pick the candidates to recommend to us. Now, if they were to pass on a bad choice, or leave out a great choice? Do we on the elder board have the privilege of putting all the blame on them? Well, if you hadn't picked him, we wouldn't end up with this guy. No, we can't do that because we were the ones responsible for giving them the responsibility. You see how that works? And you know what? I understand, speaking of announcement, I understand they have a couple really good hot candidates, and they're going to start the interview processes this week. So that's going ahead. So is that a risk to give them that authority? Maybe. Maybe it's a risk. But at least we're going to do the God-honoring thing and help everyone involved by taking responsibility. Taking charge of your life requires that we live with an attitude that says, It's my job to do something about my life. It requires that we take responsibility. The fourth and last thing here. Taking charge involves taking time. It's got to take some time. There are 24 hours in each day. That's 1,440 minutes. Taking charge of your life requires you to manage each one of those minutes to use them as they should be used. Now, in that story of the talents, the master gave each one different amounts, five, two, and one. So that's a little bit different than time because when it comes to time, God has entrusted all of us with identical resources. We all have 24 hours. Now, there's a similarity in the story with the talents, is that the money didn't belong to the servants. It wasn't theirs. They were just to manage it 
and then give it back to the master. In the same way, our time doesn't belong to us. The Bible says the times are in his hands. They don't belong to us. But we are to manage and give it back to God in service to people, to the church. Those who are in charge of their lives are those who have taken control of their time. Now, I'll admit that this has been difficult for me to learn. (laughs) Really bad over the years. Like many pastors... I always believed that my time belonged to anybody but me. It didn't belong to me at all. When someone was sick or in the hospital or facing a personal crisis, I had to drop what I was doing and attend to the situation. Now, it goes without saying that as a pastor, that is part of my job. It's a people-person job, okay? I have to stay focused on that. But... I took it too far, and at times I still take it too far. If someone dropped by my office unannounced, I would just drop what I was doing and accommodate them. Anyone at any time could call or visit, and I was always there to chat with them. The only problem was I didn't get my work done. It was hard to get everything done. Depended on the week, depended on the day. I was experiencing, in a way, what Solomon talked about when he said, a farmer too lazy to plant in the spring has nothing to harvest in the fall. Now, it wasn't necessarily lazy, but it was the same principle. You know, if I had a sermon to prepare and I chatted with everybody all week long, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. See, I realized I was devoting the wrong amount of time to the to the wrong things. I needed to do the right things. I I had to learn the difference between an emergency and an imposition. I also had to learn to be ruthless in the decisions that I make regarding my time. Not because I think I'm so important, but because my time belongs to God, and I have to spend it in what he's called me to do. When you take control of your time, you'll quickly learn two things. One is you'll learn that your time is not as valuable to others as it is to you. (laughs) Another thing you'll learn is no one else in the world will make sure that you spend your time wisely. That's your job. You have to take control of your time, which means you have to be ruthless in the decisions you make about your time. Are your marriage and family important to you? Then jealously guard the time with them. If your job involves travel and you're not there much, well, then you have to be especially attentive when you are home. The same can be said about your commitment to physical fitness, your job, your spiritual life. If it's important, you should make time and take time to do it. Story about a busy mom talked about how she wanted to make her devotional life, her quiet time with God, make it a priority. Early mornings were the only time she could spend uninterrupted with prayer and Bible study, things like that. So she began to get up 30 minutes early. But when she got out of bed, her husband would wake up and piddle around the house making noise. That would wake the kids up and they'd start begging for breakfast. 
So she wasn't getting anything done. Her time with God was not working. So she got ruthless with her time. Not ruthless with her husband or her kids, ruthless with her time. And the way she protected this part of the day that was exclusively, exclusively for God. She said to them, I'm getting up half an hour before everyone else to spend time with God. Please do not interrupt me. When I finish my quiet time, you'll have my undivided attention. Her family honored her request. I don't think she gave them a chance. (laughs) In fact, a related result to this story is that her husband bought a devotional study Bible and began having quiet time himself Nothing that had, something that had never happened before. Taking control of your life involves taking time. I mean specifically taking control of your time. Grabbing hold of it, mastering it, and investing all of it in the thing God wants us to do. Well, just like the master in Jesus' parable, just like he gave them money to manage, God has given you and me a life to manage. And it's to manage for him, not for ourselves. In order to manage your life effectively, you have to take charge of it. It's not for your own success. It's for God's glory. One servant was called wicked and lazy because he wasted his opportunities and did nothing. Don't waste your opportunity. Take charge of your life. Be bold enough to take chances. Be honest enough to take inventory. Be mature enough to take responsibility. And then be focused enough to take control of your time. So that you can live by this proverb. Let your eyes look straight ahead. And fix your gaze directly before you. Let's pray. God, it's amazing how one little sentence like that can be chalked full of challenge and wisdom from you. God, we thank you so much that you love us and you will help us with these things. We are to take responsibility and take charge but we know that you're with us. We're not alone in this. So help us to to trust in you, to look right at you and be changed into your image. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.